this afternoon, we confess the Word of God in Lord's Day 4. Lord's Day 4 of the Heidelberg Catechism. And there the Word of God is summarized as follows. But does not God do man an injustice by requiring in his law what man cannot do? No. For God so created man that he was able to do it. But man at the instigation of the devil and deliberate disobedience robbed himself and all his descendants of these gifts. Will God allow such disobedience to an apostasy to go unpunished? Certainly not. He's terribly displeased with our original sin as well as our actual sins. Therefore, he will punish them by a just judgment both now and eternally as he has declared. Cursed is everyone who does not continue to do everything written in the book of the law. But is God not also merciful? God is indeed merciful, but he is also just. His justice requires that sin committed against the most high majesty of God also be punished with the most severe, that is, with everlasting punishment of body and soul. So far, our confession. Beloved in the Lord, brothers and sisters, also boys and girls. Lord's days two and three and four, not very, not very pleasant Lord's days to go through, are they? However, the, the point of knowing our sins and misery the, the, is that the more we understand our sins and misery, the more valuable the sacrifice of Jesus Christ is to us. And the more joy we receive in celebrating our union with Christ's sacrifice at the Lord's Supper table this afternoon too. It's a, it's a, a growing understanding of one in conjunction with the other. It isn't so that at a certain time, on a certain day, you suddenly know your sin and misery and realize you deserve God's wrath. And then it isn't so that at a certain moment, on a certain day, you accept that Christ suffered for you and then that's it. No, this is a continuous growing and understanding and deepening. Don't think that Zacchaeus, who was called out of the tree by the Lord Jesus Christ, or Paul stopped on the road to Damascus by the Lord Jesus Christ, knew everything right away and understood their full extent of their sins and misery and the full impact of Christ's sacrifice for them right away. No, their, their, their coming to Christ was just the beginning of a lifelong learning process. And so it has to be with us. How deep is my sin and guilt before God? How great is God's wrath? And how severe His punishment? And see, the more we deepen ourselves in that too, the more we also realize how awesome that salvation is that Jesus Christ has worked for us. What a, an incredible escape in Christ. 
Lord, let me see how awful it is that I offended you and what I deserved for that so that I also hunger and thirst for the bread and wine which signify and seal to me that the Lord Jesus Christ has really offered himself for all my sins. And with that in mind, congregation, I proclaim to you what we confess in Lord's Day 4 with this theme. The more we understand God's justice, the more we appreciate Jesus' sacrifice for us and we pay attention to God's wrath and God's punishment. First of all is wrath. Now, the first thing you read in the Bible, the first thing we come across in our lives too is not God's wrath, but God's goodness, right? That comes before everything else. His, his goodness in creation. How he, how he put it all together so wonderfully. Creating us, sustaining us. His goodness in promising to fallen man that the seed of the woman would overcome the seed of the serpent of Satan in Genesis 3. His goodness in prophesying redemption in the Old Testament temple, tabernacle and temple. And in fulfilling that in the sending of his son. And that's, those are the, that's the first thing we come across in our lives too. He gives, he gives us life. He sustains our life day to day. We are given so many things to enjoy. Countless things. And above all, adopted by him in Christ. And given glorious and eternal promises that we can live by. So much good from God. He just gives and gives us good things. That's first and foremost. But God's wrath is the second thing we need to know and come across in the Bible then too and in our lives, so to speak. When, when we despise and abuse, abuse that goodness of God, then he can only respond to that with anger. He can only react with wrath to our sins against his goodness and love. Every, every sin is causing him indignation. It's a sin against his goodness and his love. Even when I think sinfully without actually doing anything wrong, I sin against God. It's stepping on his heart. It's outrage against his goodness and grace. And he's rightfully and righteously anger. And the more God shows his goodness and mercy, the greater his wrath against sin. So where is God's wrath potentially the greatest? Congregation in the church, where he has revealed the abundance of his goodness. So sin awakens God's righteous wrath. And where is that sin? It's in babies who are conceived and born in sin already. At the baptism of their children, parents here confess that their children are conceived and born in sin and therefore of themselves subjects to, subject to all sorts of misery and even to condemnation in themselves. Subject to God's wrath, in other words. 
God is terribly displeased with our original sin. We confess that in Lord's Day 4. And also against our actual sins. Shortcomings of every normal day. Imagine if God wasn't displeased with those original and actual sins of ours. Imagine that somebody would invade your nice, quiet, and pleasant home and beat your family senseless and wreck all your furniture and you just sat there in a chair watching it unemotionally and coldly. What would that be a sign of? It would be a sign you don't really care about your family. You don't really love them. Because if you really loved them, you'd get pretty angry at that person, what he was doing, wouldn't you? If you didn't get really mad at that person, that would show your family didn't mean a whole lot to you, wouldn't it? Well, God is angry because he loves his creation, his works, his name, his son, his people. Loves it all with perfect love. He's jealous, God, because he loves perfectly. And therefore, no one is angry at wrong as much as God is. When we get upset about something, our anger can so quickly grow out of proportion to what we're mad about. We lose it, as the saying goes. But God's anger is perfect. It's righteous. It's pure. It's holy. His anger is because of His love. He's jealous of His name, His creation, His people. No one loves like God. He is love. And therefore, nobody is as wrathful as God either. Think about it. Think about that. The wrath of the holy, almighty, and eternal God against small, insignificant, sinful people like you and me. And that awful wrath against us from the moment of our conception hangs over us from the moment of our conception in the womb of our mothers throughout our whole imperfect lives. Our original as well as our actual sins. Cursed is everyone who does not continue to do everything written in the book of the law. Galatians 3. God's wrath against us. And that wrath is how God feels about us in ourselves. And God's wrath especially consists of this, that he turns his face away in anger. Think of when your, your father and mother were angry at you because you disobeyed and disrespected them. They turned their face from you. No, I don't want to talk to you anymore. They show you how upset they feel about what you did. Turn away from you. God turns his face away like that too. That's his wrath. And then, yeah, you can pray, but he's not going to respond. You can reach out to him. He pushes you away. His wrath is dark and threatening like a thunderstorm. Congregation, that's what God himself says about his wrath in his word. The question isn't whether we feel that wrath or not. Because by, by nature, we don't. We don't feel it. We're blissfully unaware of it. We feel great. And as long as I'm not sick or unemployed or lonesome or in trouble, 
I feel really good and I'm not aware of any dark clouds hanging over me at all. I live happily on while those clouds above my head only get darker and darker and darker. No. God has to make us aware of the reality of His wrath. Those gathering clouds. And He says to us in His Word, I'm very angry at, at the sins you've done. Cursed is everyone who doesn't do everything I said in my law. So don't wait until you feel God's wrath, but believe that wrath on the basis of his word. Whoever knows God will fear his wrath then more than anything else they fear in life. Do you know where you can best look to understand God's wrath and what, it, what it's about, what that accursedness is about? Consider what the Bible says about the Lord Jesus Christ's sufferings. That's where you see what our sins deserve. Think of when the Lord Jesus was in Gethsemane on the night when he was betrayed. He was sorrowful and deeply distressed, it says in the Gospels. In so much agony, Luke writes, that his sweat became like great drops of blood falling to the ground. Can you imagine that? Pressed out of him the bloody sweat. And later on in the cross in Golgotha, in the deep darkness and under the curse of God, he cried out with a loud voice, My God, my God, why have you forsaken me? Oh, when God's wrath bears down, God, God's Son experienced it in body and soul, congregation. He cringed, he groaned, he screamed. He screamed out, God's turning away his face is more bitter than death itself. Imagine screaming that out and no answer, no mercy at all. That prospect should take your breath away, shouldn't it? And if you believe that, that wrath of God, then you begin to understand at least that you can't go through life without going to that cross of Jesus Christ every day again and pleading for the forgiveness of all your sins through his blood and for reconciliation with your Father in heaven. And you realize you need that assurance he gives in that bread and wine of the Lord's Supper, that assurance that he fully carried the full burden of God's wrath against all your sins. You need that. And you look forward to the blessing at the end of the service, especially when you're assured that God's face shines on you and his countenance is turned towards you. What a beautiful expression. And then you'll pray for your child, even unborn yet, unborn child. Then you just pray, Lord, remember your covenant. Let your covenant 
work blessing for our child who was conceived and who will be born in sin. Let your face shine on this child. And you also feel then the need to pray for people who still live in blissful ignorance under that heavy cloud of God's wrath. They don't know what's coming. Lord, reach, reach them with the gospel. Help me to reach them with the good news of Jesus Christ before your full wrath is poured out over them. Congregation, we have to understand God's just wrath against our sins and do so more and more. It's not a nice subject, but we need to understand it. Then we'll also more and more realize how good it is to belong to Jesus Christ. How wonderful it is. What a treasure it is. Then he'll more and more be the love of our lives how good and loving he is that he gave himself up for me, that he was willing to bear that entire burden of God's terrible and just wrath in my place. And how thankful I am then to belong to him with body and soul in life and death. We'll come to the second part of the, the sermon this, this afternoon, God's punishment. God's wrath is not the same as his punishment. His wrath comes to expression in his punishment. And what exactly that punishment is, we cannot fully fathom. We all have to leave that with God too. The wrongdoer doesn't have the right to be his own judge and decide what that punishment should be. No, God decides it. And the trouble is that we're often so blind and insensitive to our sins, so inclined to minimize them that we have a hard time accepting that they deserve the punishment we confess from the word of God in Lord's Day 4, namely that God will punish our sins by a just judgment both now and eternally. We don't like to hear that. But God makes that punishment known to us as far as we need to know because He wants to save us. By giving us that information, He's telling us, embrace Christ. You need Him more than you know. And notice that our confession speaks of punishing with just judgment now already. Now Yes, disasters and troubles can certainly be issues of God's wrath. As the book of Revelation shows, those, those bowls of God's wrath poured out over the earth. But not always. Not every disaster or every trouble is expression of God's wrath, is punishment. Also be chastisement to educate believers and constantly call them to repentance. So when we read about those things in the paper, that should be a call to Christ for us, to repentance. And those disasters or troubles are always, always restrained too. God holds in things, that punishment too. Holds back. 
The full punishment for sin will come later, at the end of time, when the Lord Jesus is revealed. And if you realize what kind of punishment we deserve for our sins, then, then it's amazing that God doesn't punish us more now already. How good he is in giving us so many good things and so many good days and experiences. So much enjoyment in this life yet. Because there is much to enjoy. How good he is to hold back that wrath, that punishment. Punishment now in this life is also mentioned in Romans 1 and 2. That part of Romans about our sins and misery. You know that the book of that our catechism was designed after the book of Romans the first part of Romans sin and misery the middle part deliverance and the last part about our thankfulness well we understand from the pr- first part of Romans God can also punish by drawing back and giving over to sin so that it, it goes from bad to worse and the punishment only goes deeper and deeper. You sin easier and easier and your, your conscience bothers you less and less. And God punishes you by giving you over to your sins and sinfulness then. You don't even know you're sinning. That's actually what believers in the Bible were afraid of too. And therefore they prayed, Lord, don't let go of me. Don't let sin get a hold of me so that I don't even see it as sin anymore. And how good God is that he so often doesn't let go of us, but by his spirit wakens our conscience so that we hold out our hands to Jesus Christ again. And Lord's Day 4, we also confess that God punishes with a just judgment eternally. Now and eternally. In the Bible we learn about hell. Where God's full wrath against all sin is poured out forever. The pool of fire and sulfur. Where there is only God forsakenness and darkness and weeping and gnashing of teeth. If you truly believe what God reveals in his word. But also about hell. All you can do is. Cling to Jesus Christ. If one sin already makes us worthy of that punishment in that place, how great and holy God must be and how terrible our sins must be to him too then and how glorious Christ's salvation is then too. Is God not also merciful? The last question asked. God not also merciful? He's love. God is love, isn't he? That's what it says. Why does he punish sins both now and eternally with that most severe punishment of body and soul in hell? Well, what, what, what is merciful? What is being merciful then? Is it merciful if a judge would say to a murderer or a serial rapist, you did wrong, but I'm going to be merciful, so I'm not going to punish you. I'm going to let you go free. Is that merciful then? I don't think so. That's being ignorant. 
That's not merciful to the victims or to society. I can't help thinking of those protests south of the border here in the United States because the policemen who caused the death of those colored people had no charges brought against them. I can't say anything about those trials, but the point is that so many people are upset and feel justice wasn't done here. No, God wouldn't be God if besides being perfectly merciful, he wasn't also perfectly just. After all, congregation, what is love and mercy? What costs more? To say to a criminal, you're free to go. Or to say to a criminal, I'm going to call up my son and he's going to die in your place so you can go free. You realize that the first is weak and unprincipled, but the second is true mercy and true justice at the same time. And that's how God showed his justice and his great mercy towards us. Rather than leave our sins unpunished until the end, he punished our sins in his beloved son, Jesus Christ, on the cross. And then he says, welcome to us. That's how much God loved us sinners. That's how awesome God's love is. He dealt with my sins in his son so I could be his. Congregation, the more we understand that, the more humble and thankful that has to make us, right? What a wonder that Jesus Christ saved us from that just judgment against my sins, that Jesus bore that full punishment I deserve to the bitter end and gloriously finished it. And how terrible it would be for us to turn away from that. Or to, as it says in Hebrews 10, to trample the Son of God underfoot now and count the blood of the covenant by which we were sanctified as a common thing. Such a person will only see the deepest depths of hell. But consider how patient and good and long-suffering God is, brothers and sisters. If you think about it, God still gives us time to repent and to grow in Christ, still carries us, still reaches out to encourage us and to warn us if necessary. He gives us time to grow in humility and love and in our love for Jesus Christ. Every Sunday, He calls me by means of word and sacrament so that I can grow in Christ and in thankfulness for His justice and mercy in Him and so that I never have to feel one degree of His wrath or experience one whiff of His punishment. Amen.